The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. There we go. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you, Hillary. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have spoken. We confess that we need to hear. For God alone, our souls wait in silence. From Him comes our salvation. He alone is our rock, our salvation, our fortress. Thus, we will not be greatly shaken. God, open our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, you know how much I need you. So God, come to me by your spirit. Speak through me by your word. Um, Lord, accomplish your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As some of you may know, uh, probably not all of you, in uh, two weeks, actually from yesterday, Rachel and I will go on a four-month sabbatical. Um, a couple years ago, we applied for a grant to be able to do so, and we were turned down. Um, but um, we realized the reason that we were turned down is because I was proposing that I start a book and I do an outline and all this work, and what I found is that the Lilly Foundation that is providing the grant, uh, in all of their research and study on what um, makes healthy churches is primarily healthy pastors. And a healthy pastor has to turn it off <laughs> to be healthy. And so as we geared up to reapply, um, I was really searching for what the focus would be. If it wasn't all this work and activity, what would it be? And providentially, I was working through the Psalms, and I was at Psalm 62, and I remember I got up on my porch, um, actually on vacation, thinking through this, and, and I, I read that first verse of Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. And it was almost as if God was, <laughs> was speaking to me. Richard, I want you to go away and I want you just to be silent. I want you to turn it off and I want you to hear me. And that is the focus of our four-month sabbatical. And it's what I want our focus to be over the next two weeks. And what I want you as a church to be doing as we are on sabbatical. Uh, because that is another um, part of the grant, is that there be a purpose for the congregation. Uh, there's a book that I've proposed that you all read. It's Eugene Peterson's The Jesus Way, um, that really gets at the heart and the DNA of what it means to be a Jesus follower and not a follower of the culture, and not a product, therefore, of our culture. Because if we are not being silent with God, if we are not waiting on Him, we are being shaped by a multitude of things. If we don't know God to be our identity, then a host of other things will be our identity. Identity defined is this. 
It is whatever you give the right to determine your self-worth or value as a human being. Your identity is your worth. It's your value. It's whatever you're looking to ultimately to define you. And identity is what this passage is all about. David uh, gives us the the context of this psalm in verses 3 through 4. He writes, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Do you see it? I mean, we all want to be praised by people. We all want to be encouraged by people. We all want someone to tell us how good we are, what a great person we are. And yet we all know that in this fallen and broken world, if we depend on what other people are saying about us, we are going to be very fragile. And that's where David is. It, it is those, they're, they're spreading lies about him. They're gossiping about him. They're, they're smiling to his face, but he knows what's going on behind the scenes. And so he gets alone with God and he says, For God alone my soul waits in silence, because for, from Him comes my salvation. He determines who I am. He is my fortress. He is my salvation. He is my rock. Therefore, I will not be greatly shaken. I'm not going to blow in the wind by the opinions of others. I'm going to determine who I am. I'm going to determine my value based on what God says about me, not man, and not my circumstances, and not my culture. This is what I'm going to be committed to. And what I want us to look at over the next couple of weeks is what it means to have a gospel identity. Because so many of us have one hand on God and yet one hand and really one ear into the world. And we're really being governed by the circumstances of life, by what people are saying, by all these spoken and unspoken expectations on us, around us. And that's why we're so anxious and that's why we're so full of worry and that's why we're so worn out. Because our identity must come from the reality, as we sang this morning, as Ashley affirmed, that we are children of the Father, that is not only part of who, that is who I am. I am a child of God, and His voice is, is that voice that I listen to, and I fall into Him and nothing else. Now, why is this important? If your identity is not in God alone, David says it twice, in God alone, my soul waits for God alone, in God alone. If, if God alone is not your identity and the root of your identity, number one, you're a slave to that something. Whatever that something is that really is defining your worth, the voices of the past, your culture, whatever, performance, work, whatever it is, you're a slave to that. Number two, you must look down and judge those who don't share that same something. Man, this just gets into, you know, oh, you don't work as much as I do. You're just not as worth, you're not as worthy as I am, you know. You're not as pretty as I am. You're not as strong as I am. You're not, a, whatever it is. Number three, you're either arrogant and prideful for possessing that something or you're depressed that it's so elusive and out of reach. Number four, 
You have no peace and you're riddled with anxiety, even and especially if you possess that something. You pine and pine and pine to get it. You work and work and work to get it. Then you get it. Then you fear losing it. And your whole life has lived in defense. Number five, your network of friends is not diverse because that's something, not the love of God is your real identity. You have to have a narrow community. You can't accept others that are unlike you. And so, if God is your true identity, you will be free from these things. Number one, if God is your identity, you are not a slave but free because God already accepts and loves you through the finished work of Jesus. Number two, you are not judgmental, um, uh, you're not judgmental for you freely admit your own sin. I mean, you're your biggest critic and need for and possession of God's grace. I know I'm a sinner, and yet God's loves me through the finished work of Christ. Number three, you're humble and loving because God has accepted and loves you through the work of Jesus. Number four, you're at peace for God is your Father. You're, you're living life really trusting the reality that He is your Jehovah Jireh, that He is your provider. Number five, your friends don't all look alike for you don't need them to. You don't develop relationships to justify who you are. You can just love people. Now, which list do you want to most identify with? I mean, obviously, the second one. And that's what we must move towards. So let's, let's start the work this morning, and we're going to finish it up next week. All right, the first thing that we have to do is we need to start destructing, destructing um, our identity. We need to start really looking at what is driving us. What are those hidden voices that we've bought into? Um, what, you know, what is really driving our souls? Because if we can't define that, then we're, we, we're never going to be able to construct a gospel identity. Um, and the first thing we need to see is that culture is fighting to tell you the grounds of your identity. It's inescapable. There's so many voices trying to tell you, this is what you must be, or this is what you must be to be really worthy. This is how you have to look. This is how you have to act. Even inside the church, there, there are these cultures, there's these pressures uh, that, that are just religious. They're not Christian, they're religious. You've got to be like this if you really want to be accepted by God. That is counter to the gospel. And so we have to begin to look at them. And, and it, these voices are so subtle that, that we accept them. Um, that, that if and when God is not our true identity, we just kind of blow with the wind. And we really blow with whatever new marketing scheme there is. Um, and, and kind of a, a lighthearted way to illustrate this is let's just look at the history of basketball shorts. All right. Uh, let's start out with Larry Bird. Do we have a picture? Look at those shorts. Those were in my day, baby. Uh, that's what Richard wore when, uh, yeah, that, that deserves something being dropped on the floor. That, that's what Richard wore uh, when he was playing basketball in seventh grade. But what happens? Let's go to the next one. Ah, we can't see in that picture. Ah. Now, all right, Larry Bird, his shorts did, a few years later, start coming down a little bit. But then we get to the man, Michael Jordan. And Jordan would, had a habit of wearing his North Carolina basketball shorts under his other shorts. And after a while, he said, this is crazy. You know, I need to get some shorts that are big enough to go over my North Carolina shorts. And so there's the product. So they started getting longer. And guess what? 
When Larry Bird was wearing those short shorts, everybody else wanted to wear those shorts. When Jordan starts wearing shorts like this, I mean, you, you're a, you're going to wear those shorts. You're going to wear Larry Bird shorts? I mean, no. You wouldn't be caught dead wearing Larry Bird shorts. You're going to be wearing Michael Jordan shorts. Well, then we keep going. And we've got Zebo. There we go. The man himself. We're getting longer. They're getting longer. All right. And then Mike Conley. And I'm, I'm really fascinated. This year I kind of looked at kind of the Peter Pan thing of wearing tights, you know, and, and long shorts. It's like, you know, uh, like what's next? I mean, are we going to go back to Larry Bird short? But, but I, I was driving through my neighborhood yesterday morning and I didn't plan that. I already done all these illustrations. I was driving through and I saw like this, I don't know, eight or nine year old kid out in his, you know, driveway playing basketball by him, just practicing basketball. And he had some of those on. He had like things on his arms and I'm going, dude, what are you doing? You're eight years old. You know, you don't need pads on your, why is he doing it? Because he, if I dress like them, I can be like them and then I'll be worth something. You see it? And we can get a lot more serious too. Rachel met with a young girl this week who grew up with a mom who was thin and beautiful. Still is. And yet when that mom would come out of her bedroom dressed to go out on a date or to go to church or whatever, this little girl heard her mom say over and over again, I'm so fat. And that little girl you know, subconsciously just got the message, well, if she's fat, what does that make me? And to this day, as a mom with, I don't know, three or four children, she still struggles with body image because she heard, if you're valuable, then you're thin. Valuable, worth, means thin. These voices are so, so powerful. I think this is why God gave us the the Sabbath. Uh, Listen to this again. Exodus 35 and verse 2. For six days work may be done. But on the seventh day you shall have a holy day. A Sabbath of complete rest. And it doesn't end there. A complete rest. What's the rest of the story? To the Lord. What? God has given us one day in seven that we might reorient our hearts. That we might say, work is not going to tell me who I am. My neighbors aren't going to tell me who who I am. No one's going to tell me who I am but God. I'm going to have a holy rest to the Lord. Now, how many of us take a day of the week to do that? And that's why the church is so anxious. That's why we look like the, the world. Because our identity is not really gospel identity. It's Jesus and culture. It's Jesus and. This is what really drives me over here. Okay, I can come on Sunday mornings. Oh, good, good father. Good, good father. Yeah, that's who I am. That's who I am. But I'm really my work. I'm really my neighborhood, like George was saying. I mean, my real worth is being as tough as everybody else and drinking is. But no, Christian Jesus came to give us a true freedom to be 
His and His alone. In God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. So, next thing I want to do is look at these modern, is look at kind of the history of identity. Now, I'm going to credit um, Tim Keller, but Tim Keller got it from Charles Taylor, and I don't know who Charles Taylor got it from, but uh, this next section um, is really from um, a series that Keller did, or a seminar actually that he did. I'm not sure how long ago on identity, but he gave the the history of identity. I thought it was fascinating, Um, and I thought it was very clear. Um, The first, um, you know, I'm going to separate it in two parts. The first is the ancient or traditional identity, and that is I I look to the group to tell me who I am. My my identity is rooted in the whole, not in me, and, and we'll get to modern identity in a minute. But the perfect example of that that I could think of is Braveheart. I love that movie Braveheart. William Wallace is, you know, going to free Scotland from England and, you know, he leads the, the warriors, um, against those horrible English people and, you know, he comes down to the end of his life and he, he's, he, uh, pays, he, he's the epitome. I mean, he's like the, 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 the very essence of a hero in the traditional ancient model because he is sacrificed. He's laid out on the table. They're, you know, uh, cutting off parts of him and what does he do? He cried. They tell him, recant, recant. Give your loyalty to the king. What does he say? Freedom! You know, and then cut his head off. And yet he's the hero. Why? Because ancient identity is sacrificing its duty for the higher purpose of, of the country or the clan or my people or, do you see it? That is, that's the ancient identity, the traditional identity. He sacrificed for the whole. He put his dreams on the back burner. So self-worth is sacrificed. That's why being a coward in the ancient identity is, is you're nothing, you're worthless. And you can begin to see if you're not tough, if you're not a fighter, if you, if you like art, if you like, you know, then you're worthless. You fight, you know. Hundred million stories, hundred million, hundred million movies about that whole theme. I don't fit in modern ancient culture. I don't fit in traditional culture. So who am I? That's where that's where we are. Another example would be Fences. Denzel Washington uh, in the movie Fences. He had a dream of, of being a baseball player. He had kind of a a, a modern uh, motivation to be one of the first or the first African American baseball players. But his dream was squashed. And what did he do? He then put his identity in just duty. I'm going to provide for my family. And I will measure up, my worth will come from providing for my family. Well, his son wants more than just a provider for a dad. He wants relationship. He's calling out for love. And in this famous line of fences, can't quote it exactly, but I'll get close. (laughs) Denzel Washington says, liking your black butt uh, was not part of the bargain. In other words, part of the bargain is not loving you. It's not hugging you. It's not spending... Part of the bargain, the bargain is just, I do my work, I provide for my family. He said, um, I give you the lint from my pockets, I give you my sweat and my blood, I ain't got no tears, I done spent them. 
I mean, this is ancient traditional identity, and we get it. Many of us have parents that are very much like this. What, you're not, you want more, I didn't do enough for you as a child? You know, that's modern identity and, 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 and ancient identity clashing. Um, and, and so what we see is that really all of the, or, or the, the ancient Traditional identity is coming from the external. But now let's move to the modern identity. Um, the modern identity is centered on the individual finding his purpose and inner light. And it started in the 16th and 17th century with Rene Descartes, the father of Western philosophy. Uh, he contended that there are moral absolutes out there, but you don't find them in the Bible. You find them through reason from within you. So there are these moral absolutes out there that we do need to live up to, and yet it, it's each individual must get to them themselves through reason. And then Romanticism in the 17 and 1800s with Rousseau, who said you can find it through art, through the creativity from within. And thus the Romantic period produced some incredible art uh, that we're actually going to get to see on our, uh, on our sabbatical and can't wait. And yet... Truth and beauty, that the, the, the virtue that is out there is something that you come to, you arrive from within. And then you have today, 20th century, where we say there are no moral absolutes. But you find the truth that is for you. You do you. That is the commandment. That there is no, the only thing that we need to be saved from, there is no salvation. We need to be saved from the idea that you have to be saved. And so you do you. You are your own truth validator. And how lonely is that? Modern identity is going inside and saying you've got to find your own purpose. And, and we're going to talk about this later, but can you see how much pressure that puts on the individual? It, it sounds like freedom, but then again, you mean I've got to figure out why I am on this earth? <laughs> You're going to put that pressure on a five-year-old? And man, that's it. We see it in, in all the themes, like Frozen with Elsa's song, Let It Go. You can see her pushing away from the traditional ancient identity to and making really the conversion to the modern identity. Listen, the wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. So let it go. And we come down. <laughs> Thank you, Ashley. You want me? I, I can. Yeah. Here it is. There you go. Let it go. It's, it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. I mean, that is going from the ancient, that's saying, uh, to the ancient, you know, identity. And here it is. I'm going to do me. And therefore, it's your responsibility to accept me. It's your responsibility to affirm me. 
And man, aren't the flaws of this evident? Let's look at just three. Number one, the flaws of the modern identity. Your deepest feelings and and desires contradict each other. Man, I want a career, but I want marriage and I want children. Oh, I want to see the world. I want to travel, but I also want to get married. And so, what if you give up one for the other and in a few years your desires change? And your life is over. Or what if you give up one for the other and you can't have children? Or you can't, you don't find that. I mean, do you see it? Our desires change. There there are huge ramifications to defining your own truth. So your deepest feelings and desires contradict each other. Number two, the modern identity is fragile. In the modern identity, you are to affirm you. But that's impossible. It's impossible. None of us can define ourselves apart from our community. And so if you try, what do you have to do? You have to find another community. The Me Too movement is is perfect. There were some lone voices out there saying, I mean, over the last several months, I have been blown away. I'm like, how has this gone on for all these years? I mean, it is horrendous. It's because... We all define ourselves in community, and if other women are accepting it, then I must accept it. And yeah, there would be one sacrificial lamb that would come up, but now, all of a sudden, why why are, are so many women standing up and saying, no, this is the end, the, the end of this? Because other women are doing it. It's not just one person standing up, it's the whole. Why? Because we need that group. And many times it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. We need that group. Because we cannot define ourselves in isolation. With modern identity, you hold the right to affirm yourself, but you withhold it from others. And and now, men are having an identity, a very silent identity crisis. Well, what are we... I mean, it's embarrassing to be a man now. I mean, look at what, you know... Why? Because we want to be affirmed and we're used to being affirmed. Now we're not being affirmed. I mean, do you see it? It's identity. Identity crisis. How are we going to have a conversation? Only believers are going to be able to really have a conversation because our identity should be in Jesus. Therefore, we can really talk. But the world can't have a conversation because their identity is being male. Their identity is being female. Therefore, it's going to be like this. And whoever gets the power right now, women are getting power, which I think is great. But do you see it's only going to lead to the oppressed becoming the oppressors? Because that's the only model that the world can do. Those with power rule. Therefore, you can't have power. I don't care who you are. I mean, do you see it? Black and white. That's it, too. That's the model. I can't let you have power. Because if you have power, then I don't have power. Why? Because my identity is having power. But with Jesus, do you see it's different? I don't need power. My identity is not my gender. My identity is not my color. My my identity is Jesus. So how would he have us order our culture? How would he have us order our church? How would he have us order Jerusalem like we've been talking about? The new Jerusalem. That's all it is. The city of God. Men and women whose identity is God, not man, who can listen to one another. 
And then thirdly, modern identity fragments and tears apart unity. This is why we're so fragmented in our culture. I think I just really illustrated that. But I, I, I really want to highlight that because why is it... I want us to understand that we, we have to have a gospel identity not just for me, not just for you. So that you can go be you and Jesus and y'all go walk in the distance alone and walk off into the sunset and that's it. But you need a gospel identity so the we can be a we. So that we can be a culture. So we really can be a kingdom-focused church. We can't be kingdom-focused if we're not gospel-driven. We're not going to be multi-ethnic, multi-class unless we are gospel-centered, gospel-identity. Therefore, my heart and my, my, my life is for God and others, not just for me. And if we are making disciples, which everybody's making disciples, you know, we're making bad disciples if, if our identity is not Jesus. Why? Because I'm using discipleship to be my identity. Man, the church, this modern identity fragments and tears us apart. If our color is our, our identity, if our race is our identity... I was talking to a friend this week that is struggling, you know, some... A lighter-skinned friend, a lighter-skinned African-American, you know, who has struggled with this. You know, I go in one room, I'm considered white. I go in another room, I'm considered black. Who in the heck am I? Black people tell me I'm not really black. Why? I mean, it's identity. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the fallacy. That is the, the weakness of putting our identity in anything other than Jesus. So... Let's talk about sexuality real quick. I'm gay or I'm straight. Do you you see? I mean, here's the whole thing with that. A Roman soldier, if he were walking down the streets of Rome and he felt aggression, he would have gone, I'm a warrior. That's my worth. I'm a warrior. Let me find a war. If he felt sexual urge, he would not have said, oh, I am my sexual urge. Today... A man walking down the street. Oh, I've got aggression. I need therapy. But oh, I've got this sexual urge. So I am that sexual urge. That defines me. My sexuality defines me. Do you see the? Do you see why it's important to identify as a believer in Jesus more than anything else and above everything else? That doesn't mean gender. That doesn't mean sexuality is unimportant. I'm saying it's not. What's the word? Maybe uber important. It's not the most, the most important is that I am a child of the Father, saved by grace. And so we get to the third and last, and real quick, Christian identity is freedom in life. And this is what I'm going to unpack next week. But here's Christian identity. This is what David is doing. In God alone, my soul waits in silence. Alone, wait Silence. In God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He is my salvation. He alone, excuse me, He alone is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. Therefore, I will not be greatly shaken. I love that he added that word, greatly shaken. Christian identity 
is coming to the feet of Jesus and saying, tell me who I am. I'm listening to you and you alone. You tell me who I am, and then you be with me as I walk out that door, and I be who I am. Tell me who I am. And that's the whole, the whole gospel tells you who you are. That's the good news. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, I thought it was good. No, you're a sinner. Oh, I thought I had a great light in me. and I... No, you're a sinner. But you're a sinner who is deeply, eternally, radically loved by the Father who has seen you through all creation, all time, who set his heart on you and said, I'm going to pay the price for, for your sin and for your rebellion and for all your faults and all your deficiencies. I'm sending my son to live under the law. We heard this morning in the testimonies. And then I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to become sin. I'm going to punish my son for your sin. And therefore, through faith and faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, you will be accepted and loved dearly and nothing will be able to separate you from my care. That's your identity if you're mine. Dear friends, what are you leaning on for your identity? Repent. That's what you need to repent of. God, forgive me for trusting the opinions of others. Forgive me for trusting my work. Man, I'm telling you, when I was faced with the the thought of four months off, do you know all the fears I have? Well, what if they find out I'm 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 replaceable? (laughs) And you will. You probably already have, but hey, I'm late to the game. Rachel, she has an art business. What happens if nobody's buying my art when I get back? She's poured her heart and soul the last several years. I mean, all of our insecurities are coming out. What if, what if, what if? For God alone, my heart. Does Richard, is your identity really Jesus? Then nothing can happen that's going to shake the foundations of your soul. So come rest in me. Dear friend, Do you? what do you need? To have threatened in your life that you might run to Jesus. What needs to be taken away that you might run and find a better identity than the one you presently have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you don't just give us fire insurance. You don't just call us to yourself to save us that we might go to heaven. But you give us heaven now. We can live out of your relationship now, out of a new identity as a, as a believer in you, made a believer by you, sustained as a believer through you. Oh God, I pray that you would do a great work in our hearts to turn away from whatever it is that we long for, that we might long for you, that our souls might be thirsty for you and you alone. God, do a work of revival in our midst. Oh God, do a mighty work of repentance among us. And a mighty work of faith and a rediscovering of gospel identity right here at downtown church that might emanate through the city, region, and world. Oh God, would you bring it that your people might be free, that your church might be the church, that this world might know the beauties of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. what storm we're going through that our God loves us his hand is upon us and we are his and nothing can separate us from his love amen 
Amen. Uh, let me just remind you, actually, maybe announced for the first time, I'm not sure, but our deacons have started a deacon booth in this uh, corner, uh, the right corner, my right, your left. Uh, so if you have a, a, a physical need, a mercy need that you need to speak with someone about, uh, deacons will be in the room over there. Uh, so let's receive now uh, God's blessing on his people through his word. Be blessed by the one who will do exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or can even imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a blessed day.